safe footjoy come out of a claim and say number one again on the PGA Tour this week, they should also claim the players that did not make the cut with their shoe. <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's do instead of what's in the bag for the winner, WITB of the guy who finished DFL. <laughs> yes, and and what was the most commonly used uh, uh, driver for guys that were trunk slamming on Friday afternoon? Here's the most common <laughs> bag of guys that, you know. Hello, friends, and thanks for being here. It's episode number 52 of No Putts Given, and today we're taking a look at what really goes into a $500 driver. We break it down. Coming up. Let's get it. Let's get it. <laughs> no Putts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. Nine million readers do it every year. Check us out. <laughs> okay, guys, glad to have you back. We have Harry, Chris, and Tony. I'm Regina Philangi. And as always, we want you to like, subscribe, comment, tell us what you think. Uh, it helps us out big time. I'm not Regina Philangi. I'm Miranda. Sorry, wait. We we do have a guy who responded to uh, Chris's little contest last uh, last week. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. we do? So, okay. Bam. Yeah. What'd he say? This guy legitimately sent me a message. Um showed all you know whatever 50 episodes that had been you know downloaded and uh you know looks like he completed uh watching or listening to all of them so i will be sending that individual three golf balls was it dj spin to win i think he was called so all right man nice yep. he's either a good golfer or a dj perhaps we, we um. should <laughs> we should get him on the show We'll do an interview. So what's it like to watch all 50 episodes of No Putts Given? I don't. Yeah. Three golf balls coming your way. Uh, There we go. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really do appreciate it. Chris, what flavor is your drink today? Um, What we have going on here is a uh, Robin Egg Blue. Um, It looks like like, like a monogrammed tumbler. Yep. Mm -hmm. Stole it from my daughter. Beautiful. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. They steal all my stuff. So. Oh, my God. (laughs) Stole it from my daughter. And worst. And it is full of dark French roast. No, nothing else in there. Just dark and bitter. Um, kind of like my outlook on uh, life. Your so, soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I promised you guys we were going to take a look at the true cost of a $500 driver. Tony, I know you've got some gripes about this graphic, but we're going to put the disclaimer out there that it is, we'll say, an average cost of what it takes to make a $500 driver. But why don't you go ahead and give us a breakdown? Yeah, I mean, obviously, right, a, a driver is a series of components, some of which the 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 manufacturer whose name is on the club have direct control over. So that's, that's basically the head, right? And then they have to go out and source a shaft because, uh, you know, it's really hard to play a golf club without a shaft. You just kind of hold that head and, you know, that doesn't work. <laughs> and, and, and you need a grip. Consumers have, have reached a point where everybody has an expectation that it's going to come with a, at least driver's going to come with a with a club head cover. I think if you maybe sold irons with covers, you wouldn't have quite as much success. And then, it, although it's, it's declining in use, you're starting to see manufacturers even stop shipping clubs with them. There's a cost involved with a wrench if, if the club is adjustable. And in the driver space, most everything on the market is. So we are seeing glued heads come back too. That just 
throw that one out there. Yeah, more in the fairway space, but yeah, but the assumption is you you probably have more than one wrench by now. And... Or 30. Well, and they're all pretty yeah. universal, minus Strixon. Yeah, that's just Strixon, and they have that weird yeah. four yeah. thing. <laughs> Strixon. Like... For all the things that the industry can't standardize, right? You can standardize the torque wrench on accident and the fact that max means high MOI forgiveness. Big head. Yeah, there we go. That is that's it. That is the extent of the agreement. That's the list. <laughs> All right, Crystal. Let's let's go from top to bottom. The club head costs on average seventy five bucks. You're gonna get different numbers depending on cert, certain things, and so some of these are you know a price range. But even take take seventy five up to a hundred, hundred and ten dollars uh, okay. for a club head. Things that are gonna go into that obviously are volume. You know, if you're if you're a major OEM, a tailor-made Callaway, and you're dealing in you know tens and and, and thousands of club heads at a time, um, obviously you're going to be able to work with uh, you know work with the suppliers to cut a better deal. Some of it is material, right? Uh, different types and grades of titanium are more expensive than others, and and we saw that with the Mizuno drivers this year, they went with a higher grade uh, of titanium, and there's a material cost for that um, amount of carbon, how complex the construction is, you know, how many different pieces there are. And then, you know, when, uh, and Tony's mentioned this before, when you're dealing with movable weight structures, not only is it the movable weight, but you have to create the design, right, that works with that particular weight. So if you have three, four, five different movable pieces, each of those are going to incrementally have um, more costs associated with them. But if you're dealing with, let's call it, you know, a pretty stock uh, club head where it's a mid-grade titanium face that's attached to an aluminum body and there's not a lot of carbon involved in it, not a lot of movable weights or anything else that's fancy, you know, you're going to be, you know, towards the towards the bottom end of the of the cost elements. And obviously the more advanced the designs are, um, you know, you're going to kind of shove toward the top of it. Okay. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the, the, the simple thing is complexity equals cost and cost equals complexity in, in some senses. But so the more you've got going on. So if you take like a kind of what was what drivers used to look like, right? Just this this chunk of metal and it, it's all titanium construction and you don't have right. anything that, that moves on the on the sole and there's no complexity in the shaping and you don't have multi-materials multi and wraparound crowns like Cobra's doing, that that's going to be pretty cheap to produce on a, on, a, on a relative basis. And you start to look at things like, again, wraparound crowns or, or Callaway with, has added jailbreak bars, for example. So now you've got to put kind of pieces inside the club and movable weights. And so a lot of factors influence the, the cost of a club head for sure. So I think, I think if we look at that, that graphic, that's probably where the biggest range is. And I, for sure it is. You know, did some quick math last night based on, you know, what, what we know these drivers get sold to retailers for. Cause that, that's one thing we have to keep in mind too, right? When we say a $500 driver, it's, it's really closer to a, a three, 325, 325 driver yeah. because that's the, for the most part, manufacturers aren't selling it to you. They're selling it to the retailer. So that's, that's kind of what, what, where they make their money. Uh, so, you know, you factor all, all in, you know, the ceiling on what it costs to, to produce in terms of the parts, right? Let, let's not discount the fact that you have to pay people to create these designs and, and all the other things that go into it is, is probably 125 on the upper end. Okay. Well, these are all stock kind of models as well, right? So this is no, 
upgraded shafts and and what's so what's the prices of the stock offerings turn upgraded from like just to make them what's the difference like five five bucks <laughs> to make them as i understand it it's not a huge gap um again it's it's materials it's tolerances it's economies of scale you know more complex constructions with the sort of the the premium aftermarket stuff right again cost and complexity the actual if you're asking like hey how much how much is the did it cost you know pick an oem to buy this shaft from from the shaft manufacturer as little as possible <laughs> yeah and it's you know twenty dollars would probably again be be the, the high end of the range and and it it can vary year to year to if, if i'm a shaft manufacturer i i'm gonna give you my graphite shaft for your you know your flagship driver for x if, if I can also outfit your entire iron lineup with my steel stuff, right? So mm -hmm. Project X is a great example of that, where they have, they have a little more. I would I would estimate flexibility and pricing than the others. You know, Fujikura, for example, is is not in a position to own an iron lineup from top to bottom for a manufacturer. Nope. Right? You have to have those steel offerings. The other factor that comes into play is a couple conditions. Sometimes you have sort of a a hot new product that you you want to get into a lot of lineups and so if you have that situation like i want this shaft out in the world you might be willing to cut a deal i think another good example with the uh the sub-zero and the aldila rogue white that's one where aldila is trying to rebuild its brand re-establish its brand so my estimation there is that they probably gave some favorable pricing to callaway to to again sort of put aldila back on the map and the the other scenario that happens is like oh my god we got a we got a ton of these shafts we we kind of need to get rid of so we'll give you a pretty good deal to take them off our hands <laughs> so those are like the the factors that influence the the actual cost of the shaft above and beyond like what it what it costs to make or sell it okay well let's bring it back so if we're looking at the the total cost of a club we're saying anywhere from ninety to one hundred twenty five dollars. Can we break it down further? To st and at the bottom of this graphic, Matt, if you pull it back up, you can see what the manufacturer side gets and what the retail side gets. So we're saying if manufacturers sell this to the retailers for 96, they make a profit of $254, right? Does that seem outrageous? Well, so, I mean, that's right. That's part of the question and in, in here are the dynamics. And to be clear, we're not saying that this is inappropriate or, you know, predatory uh, mm -hmm. pricing or, or anything like that, because that, that's the reality of, of everything we have, right? If you were to take down the, the components of a car that you drive and, and look at what, you know, Toyota pays for each of the pieces and, and how it gets it, right? You, you just start to see where the costs come from and why they, uh, why they are what they are. And the reason I want to give that little background is because, like I said, whether it's $100, $125, whatever the case is, and and like Tony said, that $500 driver probably comes in the door to the retail shop at three and a quarter. Mm -hmm. um, so they're going to make, you know, say $175 at most, um, you know, maybe in that 30 35% range uh, on that particular club. You know, when you consider that number, right, you know, if you took something just uh, uh, like that particular driver, right? And you look at like DTC companies, look at like a sub 70. If you had all the same technology and all the same uh, parts and pieces, and I could take this driver and sell it to you for $325, or I could take that exact same driver and sell it to you through a retailer for $500, I'm, as a, as a manufacturer, I'm still making the same amount. I'm still making that 
you know, $175, $200, whatever it is. But now the consumer's going, hmm, I can get something basically on, you know, 35% off by going directly through that particular OEM. When companies are trying to find other ways to, to be more profitable, you know, try to eke out any more dollar, dollars that they can because the, the golf industry really isn't necessarily that profitable of an industry, you have a 35% growth opportunity by simply dealing directly with, uh, uh, with the consumer. When you see all these sales go on, say Dick's Sporting Goods are directly getting their stuff from the manufacturers now, I believe. And that that kind of thing, you 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 eliminated the middleman, like Chris said. But then you see they they put them on for like I think it was what four hundred bucks for their driver this year, something around there. And then maybe a year later, you're seeing it go for two twenty five, two fifty. It kind of annoys me a lot, just in the golf industry. That hey, here's this five hundred bucks driver, but in about three years, we can sell it for about half the price, and they're still probably making a little bit of profit in it. Well, ideally, you manage your inventories, and and certainly they've gotten a lot better than that over the years. Um, better at controlling that and hitting projections, so that you know when when the new driver comes out, there aren't a million of them to sell at a discount price of the old ones. The key thing to keep in mind: it sounds like, hey, if we say it, it costs one hundred and twenty-five dollars, give or take, to make a driver, everybody's like, well, shit, we're getting ripped off. Well, no, that that driver didn't just materialize as a thing, right? It just didn't <laughs> pop up one day. So you've got to you've you got to pay parts. Well, you've yeah, I get that. You have the molds. You have to do the molds. You have to do all the R and D. So that two hundred and fifty-four dollars profit that we're seeing on the graphic doesn't go into the pockets of the manufacturers. They have to pay their staff. They have to pay their facilities and everything else that business owners have to pay. Right. Exactly. I mean, and and so this is one of the things where you look at if you if you take volume out of it, direct to consumer brands tend to be at a little bit of a financial advantage because you know th these companies are small. Often you can count the number of employees on one two hands. You know, these, these smaller companies don't have an HR department. They don't have a, a full scale <laughs> accounting department. They don't. Right. They don't have an E suite where we can argue <laughs> over how many <laughs> how many vice presidents are are absolutely necessary to to successfully operate a company. But smaller brands don't have that that whole wing of the building d dedicated to those kind of people. So the the sort of the operational business costs of you know every everything it takes to run a large business are are built into the cost of those drivers and you you have to recuperate them and once you've recuperated them on a on a product cycle then you can go all right let's let's sort of just get rid of this and move on to the next stuff and and lather rinse repeat the same cycle over and over again mm -hmm. make enough to to pay people continue to innovate right innovation costs a lot of money and that's why again i i, I talk about complexity of design where you, you tend to see the larger companies doing the innovative stuff where we mentioned, you know, wraparound rounds and Cobra right. or uh, Callaway and AI technology and jailbreak and the things they're doing. And, you know, every, every one of these big companies has this proprietary series of innovations that, that cost money to develop, where if you start to look at smaller brands, it's, it's either kind of on a relative scale, no tech or recycling of, of tech that the larger brands have done. It's what it's, it's trickle down tech, right? I mean, it's, exactly. it's, you have to wait. And that's why DTCs tend to lag a little bit behind on the design and the R and D part, because, you know, again, in all fairness, I know we, you know, we harp on some of the large companies for, for things that maybe don't align with, 
you know, how we feel consumers should be treated all the time. But you have to understand if if you don't have these big companies with, you know, that are putting 50, 60 million dollars a year into R&D, who else is pushing these designs forward? You know, who else is, you know, for every 10, 20 bad ideas they have or that didn't work out, there is one, right, that they that they eventually get to that ends up pushing the industry forward, which eventually trickles down to other DTC companies. And like I said, we get wraparound crowns, we get carbon fiber construction, we get different types of metals that, they, that they're able to find. You need these companies that are willing to spend the money to push those, uh, you know, push those items forward. And whether or not that's better for you as a consumer, I mean, I, I think, Harry, that's the you know, that's the uh, kind of the crux of the matter, right? I mean, you can wait till the end of a generation of an iPhone and get it for free, or you can pay $1,100, $1,200 for it right when it comes out. And there's always going to be a cost for people that are early adopters, you know, 24 million golfers, whatever uh, out there. And, and companies know that their next release is really going to be dependent on uh, that 6 million core golfers that are willing to pay that, that initial price um, to get the latest technology. I know the, the consumer got pissed because of companies were bringing out products, new products every six months or whatever it was, maybe even less than that. Um, Sometimes, yeah. So they yeah. were like, well, I've just bought this and I've hit it four times and now you're telling me to go get a new one. Um, and I know that slowed down and, and that kind of stuff, but that kind of like strategy just annoys me. Well, but they're not. They don't put a gun to your head and say you have to buy no, the new one. No, no, they don't. But be an interesting marketing strategy. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a guy who wants the best products and the newest products, and you're spending five hundred bucks on a driver every six months, and then you're going to resell it for maybe three hundred, they're just an, that would annoy me a lot. Well, for sure, but that's marketing, right? I mean, it depends on how susceptible you are to to the messaging that they're giving you. And this is precisely why, like, you know, probably sometimes I need to do a better job of taking our own advice around, hey, if you're optimally fit for, for this driver, it's going to be three to four, maybe even five years before they're able to engineer something that's, that's quantifiably better for me, my swing, my tendencies. And so, yeah, while... Maybe that next year, I go, ooh, geez, you know, that one, it's new, shiny. Um, it's got, I don't know, turbulators or, or whatever. Flux capacitor. In point of fact, our testing would, would indicate that I probably don't need to be that enthralled with that particular driver. But that's the human element, right? And, and you know, that's why these companies do spend the amount of money they do on on marketing and, and convincing you that, hey, you know, you're leaving a little performance on the table if you're not going to if you're not going to shell out that $500 this year for, you know, this this new driver that has, you know, this one additional feature. Do you think that they should have more restrictions on what they put out into commercials regarding I think it was it uh in Asia they have very you can't say certain things if it doesn't do that thing. It is to a degree, so that was the Ford stuff from before, yeah. Yeah. Um that was around the use of Fords, but in general, like everybody it's funny you see commercials and several years ago it was like, Oh, they're lying. They're lying. They're lying. And you know, you sit down and talk to, to, to the guys in the marketing department, the guys that are effectively being accused of lying in their ads. And they're like, look, these, these claims we make, we, we couldn't make them if there wasn't something to back them up because our legal department will shoot right. them down very quickly. Like there are, everything gets reviewed by a, a legal department. So if you, if you, for example, say, our club is 
X amount yards longer than the competition. You, you, you have to have data to back that up and it has to be statistically significant. And now there is, there's some wiggle room, right? Where I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> if you, if you're not getting to, 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 to statistical significance with, with what, what you have, just drop your confidence interval until you do. Right. So at hey, 99%, no difference, but if we, if we go down to 80, 80% confidence, yeah, then there, there's a difference still counts. So you do get, you do get some of that stuff, but there is, I mean, there are watchdogs now. Uh, and, and, and to a degree, that's why you see fewer claims. Does that mean when I'm watching infomercials on Sunday mornings that those knives really are the sharpest <laughs> knives in the world? Yes. Well, I, you know, that's, yes. a, that's a different world. I don't know. Or your I'm money back. Kidding. Or is this the juiciest burger you've ever tasted? <laughs> right. It's <laughs> world's you know, best coffee. And, and that's the part I think people need to understand, too. Like, just because something is legally defensible doesn't mean that it lines up with maybe what you think is uh, ethically or morally reasonable, right? And and there, there's a little bit of latitude, I think, that every company kind of extends to other companies where, you know, given the nature of what it is, everybody can be a little bit full of shit, right? You just can't be entirely full of shit. That's the rule. Right? <laughs> and that's the marketing rule 101. It's like, really? If I go skiing in Colorado... I'm gonna. It's gonna be a bright blue spring day. There's gonna be bikini-clad <laughs> ladies just cruising down next to me, and and there's gonna be this cold Coors Light that just pops up, and and I'm, all my all my best friends are here, and then some country dude, Luke Bryan, shows up and has a concert, and and that's just that was just Wednesday. That's it, right? And 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 nobody looks so. Oh, Coors Light, you guys are a bunch of liars. I went skiing. That never happened. <laughs> So we get that, right? But but that uh, again, in, in in I guess in kind of a backhanded way, it really is a reason in part that we exist, right? Because I I don't want to trust what what Callaway says about that driver, what you know maybe TaylorMade says about that driver, what this company says about that, or maybe I do want to trust it, but I need some way to verify that that actually is the case. And so you know that's why we test how we test, and that's why ultimately why we do what we do is to help consumers navigate that because there's that human element. Like you said, everybody wants, you know, if you want the latest, the greatest, the best, you're inclined to go, ooh, yeah, that new model, you know, that looks pretty dang good. Um, but do I really need it? The thing to keep in mind, whether it's commercial, especially in commercials or whatever the claim is, right? I've I've joked about this for years and, and even joked with some of the guys making the claims is, you know, everybody is number one at something. You right. just have to figure out what it is and, and frame it appropriately. So the one you see a lot of now, right? It, it like used Chris to be, is number one at analogies. Right. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I am I'm the undisputed industry leader, according to me. <laughs> Pick the club, the ball, the widget, right? The number one right. whatever on the PGA tour. That is that is the claim you want to be able to make. Right. But, but what if you can't make that claim? Look around. Well, you know, if if we but then, then you change it. If we looked at LPGA and European Tour and this, that, and the other, well, you know what? We're we're number one across all worldwide tours. We're like number two or three on the PGA Tour. But if you count everything else, we're number one. So it's or there's the disclaimer at the bottom: we were number one on the PGA Tour during the afternoon wave on Thursday. Exactly. But then here's a great here's a great example of this: is Safe Footjoy come out of a claim and say number one again on the PGA Tour this week. They should also claim the, the the players that did not make the cut with their shoe, <laughs> or yeah. the the clubs that hey, um, Fujikura but, but, won again this week with Ventus. 
but then but then go back and say, all right, but seven or eight people did not make the cut with it compared to the two that did. That'll sell a lot of shoes for sure. <laughs> we focus on the positives. We could have a, so you got the Daryl survey, right? So we could have my other brother Daryl survey. We got Daryl, <laughs> my other brother Daryl. And this could be the survey of people don't make the cut. So like, here's here's the guy. What was in the bag of DFL? Let's, let's do instead of what's in the bag for the winner, WITB, the guy who finished DFL. <laughs> yes. And and what was the most commonly used uh, uh, driver for guys that were trunk slamming on Friday afternoon? Here's the most common <laughs> bag of guys, that, you know. It's We're like, so far off topic, but this is awesome. <laughs> right? I had other questions, but I like this better. <laughs> Trunk slam. That That's, is just brilliant. Yeah, so we could have our weekly. Yeah, I like the WITB of DFL. What driver missed the most cuts on tour this year? You know, you know what? You know what we could be really good is everyone that hates my golf spy just because of what we do and what we stand for are gonna hate us even more when it comes to <laughs> hey, this Maverick one or this TaylorMade one uh, this week, but you also had 20 guys who missed the cut with it. Well, also. Gonna, every, every week. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm actually surprised that a man, manufacturers haven't started doing that, like leaking stuff about competitors. Like you, you see press releases from some like made up unaccredited source that the, 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 winner, the, the guy who finished DFL at, in the we'll just say that this week's PGA Championship played the following like played a TaylorMade driver like we'll just put it out there like if you this is this is the driver from the guy. All right, Matt, we gotta start getting so. graphics for this. Uh, yeah, I was yes. gonna say I've completely lost control of this show. Who cares what uh, the driver costs? Talk more about who came in last. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, because that way you know that way you know if you're paying five hundred dollars for a driver. That you can still come in last. <laughs> You're trying to help that guy that's missing the cuts. There you go. You know, this this driver is is absolutely painfully average on the PGA Tour. But it is, it is as much as we're joking, right? Like it's there is a point where you realize, hey, at a at a certain level, and and, and the PGA tour would certainly be a, a beyond that level, it's probably not the equipment that's providing a, a significant contribution to performance right listen listen to what you said it could be <laughs> the player that won right and not just the equipment but it's, it's it goes the same way when it comes to the guy who finished dead dfl so what it, water bottle was he using when he finished yeah. dfl tony like, what <laughs> underwear did he wear <laughs> i mean you shouldn't let, so seriously miranda like i want to say it was like three years ago Oh, which one, which water bottle company was it? But for like four or five weeks straight, they put out a press release on, on Tuesday that said, hey, either the winner or the guy that finished third carried our water bottle. And I like, thought it was like, <laughs> I thought it was like an SNL skit. I think it was, it was actually, I'm pretty sure it was Tempercraft. And I'm like, really? Who, <laughs> who started this? What company started Hey, we won this, and so and every company jumped on board and said, "Hey, we're gonna do that too." I think they've been doing that since the Stone Ages. My rock wheel is better than your rock wheel. the The idea of validation of validating your product is as 
you know, oldest products themselves, right? So it's it's how do you validate a product and, and get consumers to think, believe, or or prove to themselves that the product is good. You think about it. What what better way to validate a product than than to make the simple connection between, hey, the best players in the world use X and they achieved on the highest level uh, of golf and they used that as well. You probably should too. Geez, if it's good enough for Tiger Woods, it's probably good enough for me, it's just such an easy way to play to the lowest common denominator of consumer validation. Well, who wants the lovely job of trying to summarize this show from for anyone who's listening from start to finish? I want Harry to. Okay. How did we get here? Tell us how we got here and what should we leave the show with? Let's just bring Matt in for this. Yeah. But- All right. Well, we talked about a golf club and then uh-huh. how much it costs. And then we went off the uh the road a little bit and talked about let's call out the people who didn't make the cut and the companies that didn't make the cut <laughs> which i think is the highlight of the uh show to be honest um Agreed. so yeah we talked about that for a good period of time and now we're back boom summed up <laughs> we're about to be out right. we're about to That's be perfect. out <laughs> What we didn't talk about was value versus cost, so keep that in mind. That's a topic we didn't delve into today, but think about it when you're buying your clubs. But uh, yeah, so be on the lookout for what's in the bag for DFL. <laughs> I think this is a great, a great angle to take. If we're ever going to make it on tour and cover the tour, that is something that we would do. <laughs> It'd be like this This perfect week would come together where like the winner's bag minus spec adjustments here and there was absolutely identical to the guy who played who finished DFL. Like they all have exactly the same equipment in their bag. And well, maybe, you know, 53% of people that made the cut wore the shoe. 83% of people at Trunk Slam also wore that shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. At Trunk you know? And on that note, for this week, we out. <laughs> Poor Miranda. Uh, give, me, give me some CBD to calm down. <laughs> <laughs>